Welcome to True North Vineyard Podcast, where we share our Sunday gathering messages. True North is a vibrant church plant community located in Traverse City, Michigan area. We are centered in the Bible and follow the example of Jesus praying, your kingdom come, your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. We hope that our Sunday gathering messages encourage you to lean into the word of God and compel you to take action. To connect with us, visit our website, vineyardtruenorth.churchcenter.com and follow us on Facebook and Instagram at True North Vineyard. Well, good evening, everyone. Uh, as you can tell, my voice is shot. Um, my dad, my wife, and Jonathan were, and I were out at uh, Buffalo Wild Wings last night and watched the most um, hardest game I've had to watch all season. <laughs> Just nerve-wracking, so screaming at televisions, forgiving Green Bay Packer fans throughout the evening. That was really hard, practicing what I preach. It's not fun. And then earlier today, I've learned that my dog responds really well to my Arnold Schwarzenegger commands. And so I've been just doing, get down! You know, like, so my voice is gone, so forgive me. But uh, anyway, we're going to continue through our book of Luke. I know, it's just us, so we're going to have fun. And for, forgive me. We're talking about forgiveness, so you can do your first step watching us online by forgiving me by being crazy. Uh, I found this fun little story online as I was kind of uh, working through my message. And there's this story of this Pentecostal pastor, and he's talking about forgiving his enemies, and he goes about 45 minutes. You know how Pentecostal pre- preachers are. We go like 45 minutes. We tell you, hey, we're going to be here for 20 minutes. But then we go for 45 to an hour long every time. And so he's like just railing everybody for 45 minutes. And at the end, he's like, all right, I'm going to call you to respond to this message. Who in this room is going to forgive their enemy? About half the crowd raises their hands, and he's not happy with this. He wants everybody. So he starts going back into his thing, goes back for another 15 minutes, reiterizes his, his message, and says, okay, how about now? And about 75% go, and he's still not satisfied. So he goes another 15 minutes. Everybody's been in there for about an hour and 15 minutes. Everybody's looking at the clock, looking at their phones, going, I want to watch the football game. I want to go to lunch. Everybody better raise their hand next time. We are all getting out of here. So he gives the altar call, and 99% of the room raises their hand except the little old 93-year-old lady, Mrs. Doyle. And everyone's mad at Mrs. Doyle. And so the preacher goes, Mrs. Doyle, why are you not raising your hand? Do you, like, not have anybody to forgive? And she said, no, Pastor, I have no one to forgive. I was like, you're 93 years old. How do you have no one to forgive? Well, it's pretty simple. I just outlived all them hags. <laughs> I thought that was a fun story. <laughs> anyway, if you guys have been joining, I'm going to be talking about loving our enemies. Uh, we're in Luke chapter 6. If you want to follow in your Bible, we're in Luke 6, starting in verse 27. Otherwise, I'm going to have it behind here on the screen. Luke 6, 27 says, But to you who are willing to listen, I say, love your enemies. Do good to those who hate you. Bless those who curse you. Pray for those who hurt you. If anyone slaps you on one cheek, offer the other cheek. If someone demands your coat, offer your shirt also. 
Give to anyone who asks, and when things are taken away from you, don't try to get them back. Do to others as you would like them to do to you. If you, if you love only those who love you, why should you get the credit for that? Even sinners love those who love them. And if you do good only to those who do good to you, why should you get the credit? Even sinners do that much. And if you lend money only to those who repay you, why should you get the credit? Even sinners will lend money to other sinners for a full return. Love your enemies. Do good to them. Lend to them without expecting to be repaid. Then your reward from heaven will be very great. And you will truly be acting as children of the Most High, for he is kind to those who are unthankful and wicked. You must be compassionate, just as your Father is compassionate. Let's pray. Father, we thank you and we honor you. We just ask that you would bless this word. We ask that you would come in. Lord, I pray that you would bless me and the hearer, that we would be edified by you and encouraged to live a life worthy of your call. In Jesus' name. When I look at this text of loving your enemies, I find this to be one of the hardest charges in the scriptures. One, it's a simple message. We can talk about it all day long until we're blue in the face, but to actually do it is a very, very difficult thing. I find it very difficult to forgive people all the time, every moment, and not want to be revengeful. And I'm not sure if this is for all of you, but I do know that this is one of the most difficult things about being a Christian. And so because it's a difficult piece, I don't wanna just spend 20 minutes on this topic. So I'm gonna break it up into two weeks. I'm gonna do uh, a couple areas of this this week, and then I'll conclude uh, my thought on it next week. But for tonight, I'm gonna focus in on two things. The first of, it, uh, the first of which is why does Jesus want us to love our enemies? I want to kind of discover the why. Why are we to do this? And secondly, I want to talk about how we can posture our hearts because it starts in our heart. Loving our neighbor, loving our enemy begins with us. It's not just something we strive to do. It's something we have to internalize. So how are we to posture our hearts so that we are able to love them? So we see in this text specifically, Jesus is speaking in a first century context. He's in an uh, area called Galilee. If you're unfamiliar, uh, there is the Jews are living in a place called Judea in the south and Galilee in the north. And these two provinces are run by the Roman government. The Romans had come down about 100 years prior and had sacked their city and now have established a king and a governor. And so when Jesus is speaking to the Jews, he is talking to people who are oppressed. He's talking to people who are experiencing hating their enemies every day. So you have the Roman government who extorts money, who can conscript them at any moment to say, hey, you man, uh, you know, you're, you're of a certain weight, carry my gear, we're gonna go and you're going to carry this from this place to this place. They could, they could brutalize you, they could speak poorly to you, and they exhorted taxes from them. They, they took from them quite a bit of money. 
And so on the opposite of this, you have the Jewish sect called the Zealots. And the Zealots are a, uh, a group of Jews who believed that the Messiah was coming to be a warrior figure. The Messiah was to rid them of the Roman oppressors. And so what they would do is they would gather and recruit um, Jews and they would take these Jewish people and train them to attack the Romans. They would fight them out in open fields. They would assassinate, and they would do uh, they would rev- they would do revenge and retribution towards them, hoping that the Messiah would come and kick out the Roman oppressors and establish the kingdom of God. This was their thought that the kingdom of God would come through a Messiah who is going to boot out Rome. This was the zealots' position, and this is what they believed. Am I getting quite a bit of feedback here? Oh, okay. They're having fun. What the heck? I've never been distracted in my life from the kids. Like, is this new for you guys? Like, have I been able to just like not hear it every week? Okay, all right. I'm, I'm shocked. It was like, uh, am I getting feedback? Okay, I will try my best to get back on track. Um, I know I'm, I'm okay. I'm sitting there like, what is that? Uh, so Jesus comes into this first century context. And the first thing that he's dealing with is the, the common concept of love your friends, love your family, hate your enemy. Sorry, I'm so distracted by that noise. <laughs> And Jesus gives us a completely different response. He is saying that the kingdom of God is not about just loving your friends and loving your family and hating your enemy. It is actually loving your enemy. That the kingdom of God is about the overthrow of evil. And to demonstrate the kingdom of God is to overthrow these thought processes. It's not just about um, overthrowing an empire. It's about overthrowing our sinful nature, our sinful desires to do evil to one another. I'm so distracted. <laughs> yeah, oh, 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 oh. I'm sorry, guys. Give me a moment. I'm, <laughs> they are having a great time. I have, I've never heard them like this before. Uh, yeah, he is. Yeah, it's great. I'm so glad that your children are pumped up for the Lord and experiencing Jesus. The, the most important thing is that you guys are all Christians here, so awesome. Your kids are experiencing Jesus. The only flaw is that I can't think, so what, what else is new? Thank you. That's, as long as I'm not your enemy tonight, so. I know. Goodness gracious. I'm sorry, YouTube audience. Jonathan's probably not going to post any of this tomorrow. <laughs> yeah, I'm going to love that enemy of a jukebox. Um, anyway, so why is it important for us to love our enemies? Jesus' presentation of the kingdom of God is loving those who are against us. And 
This is demonstrated very well in a passage of Isaiah. Isaiah 53 happens 500 years. You know what? I'm gonna change my brain on this one. One second. I'm not having a breakdown, I promise. When we were singing, um, there was a song that was kind of working through and we heard about the Lamb of God, right? That's one of my favorite themes when we get into worship is we, we, I love it when I see like Lamb of God every time we come into a worship song because I come into a passage in Revelation 5. And Revelation 5 is maybe like top three passages that really... Um, transform me just as a worshiper. It's this scene where John has been in the throne room and he's come into uh, God's presence and all of a sudden there's this shift in kind of the liturgy. Everything's kind of come to a standstill in the throne of heaven and they're all wondering who's gonna be able to take this scroll from the Father? Who's gonna be able to take this scroll of judgment and justice? And they're looking around into the throne room and no one, there is no good, like there is no angel good enough. There is no other divine being good enough to be able to take this throne. And so John begins to weep and he begins to just struggle with this idea that there's no one good enough to be able to bring God's kingdom to the world. And this angel grabs him from behind and says, look, stop crying. The line of the tribe of Judah has come. And when he turns around, he's expecting to see Aslan from Narnia. You know, he's expecting to see this big giant lion, but instead he sees a lamb that's slaughtered. And this lamb who is slaughtered goes before the throne and takes the scroll. And then when he opens it, the kingdom of God pours out. That's the story of Revelation, is how the kingdom of God is brought to bear to an earth because Jesus bore evil upon himself. And this story makes me excited every time I see it because this is the concept, is that we want to bring retribution, we want to bring justice to evil, we wanna drop bombs on terrorists, we wanna kill those who kill us, and Jesus is a lion, but when you turn around, that fierceness was not directed as his enemies. That fierceness was, was upon himself. He took our shame. He took our guilt. He bore our brokenness. We were his enemies. You and I were born in a broken state and you and I were enemies of God and yet... He looked upon us and forgave us. This is what the Apostle Paul writes in Colossians. He says, For God in all his fullness was pleased to live in Christ, and through him God reconciled everything to himself. He made peace with everything in heaven and on earth by means of Christ's blood on the cross. This includes you, who were once far away from God. You were his enemies separated from him by your evil thoughts and actions. Yet now he has reconciled you to himself through the death of Christ in his physical body. 
As a result, he has bought you, he has brought you into his own presence and you are holy and blameless as you stand before him without a single fault. The reason it is important to love our enemies is because Jesus loved us. We were his enemies. The world is his enemy. Now we have to understand that in a very, very interesting way, okay? I don't mean to say that God hates them. He doesn't. It's the complete opposite of what I'm saying. Is God so loved the world that he gave his only son? The world has rebelled against him. And to bring justice to a broken world, he didn't flood it. He didn't kill everyone. He's not destroying the world. He sent his son to bear that punishment. And so out of his love and his desire for us to be reconciled, his enemies to be reconciled, he bore our punishment. So when we're talking about the why to love our enemies, it's because Christ loves his enemies. And as we've talked about before, Jesus came to present the kingdom of God. The kingdom of God is not like our kingdoms who want to brutalize people and subjugate people and keep them down. Jesus says to his disciples, if you want to be first in the kingdom, you must be last. You must be like a child. You want to be the first, you must be like a servant. Peter gets offended by this concept when Jesus takes that towel and wraps it around his waist and says, I'm going to wash your feet. No, you won't. You can't wash my feet. He says, yes, I must wash your feet. And he's like, you can't. He's like, if you don't allow me to wash your feet, you have no place with me because I have come to serve. The son of man has come to serve. As Christians, we follow in that step. We walk in that place. We don't have a say anymore. We are now to love unconditionally even when we are hurt because that's the way of the kingdom. And because Jesus lives out this ideal of the kingdom of God, he has become the king. He has become exalted. And you and I who were once his enemies are now children of God. We are now heirs. And what do heirs of kings do? We rule with him, right? We have to act like him because we govern with him. We walk out his precepts and extend his edicts to the world in which he is ruling. And even though the world does not necessarily believe that Jesus is king, that doesn't necessitate that he's not king. He is. That is the focal point of the kingdom of God, is that the kingdoms of this world will become the kingdoms of our Lord and Christ. That we walk in step and we rule and reign with him through suffering. And a part of suffering is sacrificing for those who do us evil. Which leads me to my second point. How do we posture our hearts in that way? How do we posture our hearts to love our enemies? I would say this. This is one of those things for me that um, my dad even had to check me. I was on the phone earlier at Costco and uh, I was at Costco driving and I was on the phone with you talking about trains because I've got the train bug. Um, 
but I'm talking to you, and this guy cuts me off in the Costco parking lot, and I, you, and you were like, son, you're the pastor of your church. You've got to be kind to the person that cuts you off. And I'm like, darn it. I have to be nice to people who cut me off and offend me and do evil. Not just because I'm a pastor, (laughs) but because, (laughs) right. But it was one of those check moments where I'm like, huh, oh yeah, I'm supposed to be living out this kingdom idea. Oh yeah, who cares? The guy cut me off. Well, big deal. But if I'm wounded internally, I'm gonna wound people. If I'm not spiritually healthy on the inside, I'm not going to reproduce something of value on the outside. And so there was something in me this week that needed to die, that needed to be set free, that needed to be released because I don't want people to look at me and say, oh, Jared's just mean. I want them to see Jesus in my actions. I want them to see Jesus in how I act. And that's a small little thing. But I mean, some of us have walked through a lot of pain and a lot of hurt. You know, we have patterns of habits based around our tragedies. We have patterns of our life that are situated in us because of injustices that have kind of jaded us. There's people that are in our congregation who have been abused verbally, emotionally, sexually, and physically. And those are not easy things to get over. These are not just simple things to just throw off and say, okay, I gotta be good for good's sake. I just need to start doing the right thing. And if I do the right thing, then I'm gonna be a really good member of the kingdom of God. That's not what this is about. This is about you experiencing the love of God and being situated in a way where he's healing you as you're healing the world. We're wounded healers. And so what I'm trying to accomplish tonight is not the how-tos. We're gonna talk about the how to bless people and we're gonna talk about what to do. But I wanna set down some ideas tonight is you and I are wounded on the inside. And to actually really fully perpetuate the kingdom into the world, there's an area of our life that needs to be healed so that we are spiritually healthy when we engage the world. So I'm gonna share, just for the next five to 10 minutes, three keys on what that looks like for us to love our enemies. The first of these keys is that we need to have a practical spirituality. And what do I mean by a practical, do we have that slide up? Excellent. Practical spirituality is a daily devotion. It's a daily prayer and it's daily worship. And we have an app for that. So if you want a more scheduled thing, I needed this to be clear. Um, If you need something scheduled, download that app, scan that thing, get it on your phone. It's the best thing that's happened in my life. I've been going through this thing called daily prayer for the last three months every day. And what it has done for me is it's allowed me to just be saturated with three things. It's allowed me to be saturated with scripture because as a teacher, sometimes what I'll do is I will read my Bible just to teach you, which is not a good habit. And so this has allowed me to 
really just be saturated by the scripture. And it's focused around the idea of you reading the Bible in one year. If you stay with the lectionary the entire time, you're going to read through the entire Bible in one year. And you're going to read through the Psalms 12 times a year. It's pretty great. But it also focuses in on teaching us how to pray. It goes through the, uh, the, the, the fathers, the church fathers, and ancient prayers that the church has prayed for thousands of years. And it focuses in on the Lord's Prayer. Our Father who art in heaven, hallowed be thy name. Your kingdom come, your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Give us today our daily bread and forgive us our sins as we forgive the sins of others. And lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from the evil one. Those are things that are very important for us. And I would say, if you don't jump into this prayer app, and this is just not for you, that's totally fine, but I would encourage you to set several times in your day to read your scriptures, to have a devotional time, to learn how to pray. And the best way to learn how to pray, I believe, is the Lord's Prayer, because it allows you to walk through and just experience God's love and also to be healed and to be pushed and challenged. Practical spirituality is the biggest thing that's changed my life. And I hope that you can walk into a life where you have set times where you set aside for the Lord each day. This is a huge uh, advantage to you. So hopefully you can take advantage or do something similar. The second key is you need to be in a community. Being in a community in a church is one of the biggest healing things for you. Because you and I were never meant to do this Christian life alone. You and I were never meant to be lone hermits that were just like doing our Christianity outside and doing it by ourselves. I don't know of anybody who has got their own spirituality that actually has a healthy spirituality. I don't know anybody. Usually, like I'll talk to somebody and it's like, I love Jesus, but I don't love church. And usually that person is not doing too hot. And the reason that is, is because scripture is very clear that when two or more are gathered in Jesus' name, he's there, he's present. The power of God is when we gather. We are meant to do this spirituality together because the Lord enters into this space and we also need one another. I need Bruner to encourage me and to be accountable. I need Jesse to come into my life and speak into my life and say things that I don't want to hear so that I grow. I don't wanna have to be alone and get my butt kicked by the Lord every five seconds. I'd rather have accountability partners who are challenging me and pushing me. But also lastly, in community, we can experience the love, the love of each other and the love of God. Like as a family, I don't know about you, but this is, when we started this church, I've been a part of a lot, a lot of churches. And I've been in churches where mostly it's a legalism. Like you need to come and you need to do things for me. And if you do things for me, then I'll let you come up this ladder and you can come into this corporate hierarchy and you can go from position to position to position. That was unhealthy. When we started our home groups and we started this church, one of the things that we wanted to accomplish 
was that we wanted to love one another as a family. That when you come here, you feel not like you're an outsider, but you feel like an insider. Like, Terry, we want you to feel like you've joined our family, that you are now a part of us, and we fight your battles with you, that you struggle, and we struggle with you. You're rejoicing, and we rejoice with you. That is what church is supposed to be, is we are a family. And you and I are supposed to experience each other's love, And as we gather together and worship and experience one another, the Lord enters that space and you feel his love and you feel his joy. That is what it means to come into church and be a part of a community. And the last point, I just mentioned this, but it's to experience the love of God for yourself. And I can have our ministry team come down. The most important thing of all of these keys is that you experience God's love for yourself. I think one of the biggest tragedies that I see in churches is that I have people come in week after week and year after year and they come down and they ask for prayer and I say, what do you want prayer for this week? And it's the same time, it's the same thing they wanted last time they talked to me and the same thing they wanted from me a year or two ago is that they didn't experience God's love, that they don't know that God loves them. And that tells me a few things. It means that they're not engaging in a few of these things. Because if you engage God in prayer and worship on a continual basis, you won't have this life up and down. It'll be very stable. And you're gonna experience God's presence as you worship and as you sing and as you read. And as you engage with community and allow people to speak into your life, both positively and negatively, you're gonna be challenged and you will experience God's love in those challenges and in those good times. My hope for us as we venture into 2024 and as we continue to grow as a body and as we continue to love people on the outside is that we experience God's love truly for ourselves. Because that is the entire intent of loving our enemies. Jesus loved you. For you to love your enemy, but not to understand that God loves you means nothing in actuality. For for me to put a burden on your life and say, you have to do this, without actually knowing the reason, I feel like that's a crime. I should not be thrusting upon you, Tiff, to say, go and love your neighbor because Christ said to. You should know that the reason that you love your neighbor is because Christ loves you like a daughter that you are a part of this family, that you and I are doing this together because God loves us. And that because we are so loved, we are to reflect that love. We are to experience that love and we're gonna reflect that love. And we're gonna touch that next week is how to reflect that love to the world. So I'm gonna pray. At any point in time, you can come down and speak with our ministry team. But we're gonna just enter into one last song. And I'm just gonna allow you to experience the love of the Lord. I believe that's what he wants to do tonight. So Father, I thank you and I bless you. Come Holy Spirit. 
Thanks again for tuning in to the True North Vineyard Podcast. We hope that you are blessed by this message. To connect with us, be sure to visit our website, vineyardtruenorth.churchcenter.com and follow us on Facebook and Instagram at True North Vineyard. We hope to see you soon.